This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hi, I'm David Marlson from the Evening Standard. Follow the leader or hit subscribe and you'll get our news analysis and commentary every day at 4pm. Give us a rating wherever you get your podcast to. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is the leader. It was all hushed whispers and grim faces at the round table in Brussels where the Brexit negotiations are taking place. As the delegates sat down in the morning, they unwrapped croissants from cling film, sipped ready-poured orange juice from glasses in front of them and laid down very thick folders filled with papers not for the public to see. It's all very dramatic, as befits crucial talks that will set the course for the UK and the EU's future. Does the theatre, though, get anything done? I'm joined by our political editor, Joe Murphy. Joe, we've seen some tough rhetoric, ministers rushing around, no one's giving an inch. It's wonderful theatre. Is it just brinkmanship or are meaningful conversations actually happening? There definitely is brinkmanship going on and there definitely is also a lot of theatrics. And I think one of the things that we have to confess uh, as, as a breed of journalists is that We don't, on the whole, really know what is going on inside the room because both sides, it's in their interests not to let the outside world know where they are compromising and it's not even in their interests um, because it would be counterproductive to let the world know where the other side is compromising. So we have this sabre-rattling and the sword-fighting and then we'll finally know in the ultimate show-and-tell, which is when they publish the detailed text for us to go through and discover where they've made compromises. A lot of those will be buried where people hope they're not going to be seen until it's too late to cause trouble in the ratification. But that doesn't mean there isn't genuine disagreements going on. And the disagreements here are very, very profound. They're on those three issues which we've been saying are the problems since July, which are fishing, the level playing field and governance. But there's a good reason why these are difficult. It's because both sides see the same things in completely different terms. And it's not just going on in the room either, is it, Joe? There are, shall we call them, external factors like uh, Manuel Macron in France taking quite a hard line in these negotiations and then there's rumours that maybe Angela Merkel's trying to work behind the scenes to try and get some kind of compromise going on. Mr Macron has very much 
changed the terms of debate in the last few days, intervening to strengthen his demands for French fishermen. He's got elections coming up in a, in a while, so no surprise there. And that could prolong the agony instead of get it cut short. These external, as you call them, factors, or at least the the, the possibility of big EU power players um, dividing against each other, which would be to our advantage potentially, or coming in and making a compromise that uh, they can pull the rest of the bloc with them. I mean, that is always very possible. Um, Angela Merkel is not quite as influential as she was when Brexit started, um, and therefore her concerns for the German car manufacturers may not be as big in the negotiations as we might once have hoped them to be. Uh, Although it has to be said that Mrs Merkel and the Germans are very conscious of what a great asset they have in the single market and they don't want it to be watered down for the sake of Britain. So um, that hope was possibly always overstated by the Brexiteers. Will there be a deal, Joe? My hunch is that ultimately, as he did with the withdrawal agreement... Boris Johnson will make the compromise necessary for a deal to be done. And by a deal, I mean something that can be called a free trade deal. And that's because of what Bill Clinton would say, the economy stupid, which is that for all the politics, for all the talk about sovereignty and control, there's one bottom line which any prime minister and any chancellor would be crazy to ignore, which is what happens in the markets and on the balance sheet of the UK PLC in the years ahead. And the fishing trade is worth about 0.2% of GDP, 12,000 jobs. Not speaking down on any of those jobs, they're all very important, but it's not like the manufacturing base or the financial sector um, where many, many more thousands of jobs are at stake. And a Prime Minister who wants to remain Prime Minister won't want um, to be coming up to the next general election with a recession being prolonged by Brexit when the other countries are perhaps bouncing out. There's more analysis from Joe in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk, where you can follow our live blog for breaking Brexit news. Now. Around 7,000 people in London this week will be among the first in the country to get the COVID vaccine, and they'll also get a card showing they've had it. At least one airline and some other companies have said they'll give preferential treatment to those who can show they've had the jab. But Michael Goves denied the government's creating what some see as a passport to normality. Our deputy political editor Nicholas Cecil's been looking at this. Nick, despite what Mr Goves says, is this a passport? No, it's not what some people might call a immunity passport. It's been discussed by ministers and there's been some confusion. Certainly this morning, James Cleverly, the Foreign Office Minister, he suggested uh, these cards were about, quick to quote him, unlocking people's lives. I think he was probably speaking about the broader vaccination programme. And certainly Downing Street have been very clear at lunchtime that they've got no plans to introduce immunity passports. This is a vaccination card uh, that people will be given. And one of its purposes is to remind people to come back for their second jab. Because at least two of the vaccines, the Oxford one and the Pfizer one, are double doses ones. So you need your first dose and then your second dose. 
So really these cards are just kind of reminders to put a date in your diary for your next appointment. But what about those companies who have said they'll give, I think it's called preferential treatment, to those who can prove they've had a COVID vaccine? Isn't this going to be of interest to them? Yes, certainly the head of Qantas has suggested that they might require some passengers to have had the vaccine before they get on planes. However, I, I can't really see this going very widespread. Many pubs, restaurants and other hospitality venues are desperate for business and they're not going to stop people coming in the doors by demanding immunity passports, in my view, partly because th- these passports are initially could go to the very elderly. So if you're a pub, there seems to be very little reason to be asking for, for an immunity passport when very few of your customers will ha- have had that early on in the stage of the vaccination programme. Nicholas Cecil there. Now, by royal order, release the Shaken Stevens. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge know how to do Christmas. They are shaky to perform for them at Euston Station as they headed off for the start of a whistle-stop tour of the UK to thank workers and volunteers who are getting the country through the coronavirus crisis. They're doing it using the Royal Train, and that is unusual. It's only been on the tracks three times in the last year and never with them on board. Our Royal Editor Robert Jobson's here. Robert, is taking the train just the easiest way to do a three-day tour, or is something else happening? Here. Uh, I think it's quite significant that William and Kate, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, are using the Royal Train in this way. It's the first time that they've been allowed to use that. And in my view, it's, it's a subtle stepping up here of William and Kate in their role. The, the reality is that William and Kate are effectively stepping into that role that Charles and Diana had back in the uh, early 80s, you know, this glamorous couple they are the star couple and are getting the same sort of status as as if they were the prince and princess of wales i mean they can now not only use the royal train which is an expensive mode of transport but they can use the royal flight i.e the voyager the rf voyager when they go on tours abroad so it's a stepping up of their their status really and i also think there's a subtle thing going on that they want to keep this royal train and to do so it's going to have some relevance. So it's a use it or use it situation for the royals then with this train. What's it like on board, Robert? It's it's pretty functional actually in terms, it's not some lavish gilt-edged <laughs> train. It, you know, it has the status that is, is required. But it, it, what it does is it enables the Queen and the Prince of Wales and now William and Kate to go on long journeys to sleep on the, the trip, you know, up to Scotland. It's no accident that they're start, starting in Edinburgh. And then they're prepared fresh and ready for the day. So they've got all the facilities on board so that they can work and they can have a working office as they make that journey, which, with all respect, you can't if you're on a helicopter, you can't if you're even in the back of a car. And the last stop of this tour will take the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge to see the Queen and Prince Philip at Windsor. Will they stay for Christmas? Well, I mean, the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh will be at Windsor Castle for Christmas. Uh, It's the first time in over 30 years, 38 years, I think it is, since that um, happened that they were at Windsor. And I'm sure that they will spend um, some time with their family, um, but it won't be like we see... Uh, every year at Sandring with the mass gathering. And I think that's quite an important message that the Queen is is is, is portraying there, that, yeah, this year we're gonna, it's going to be slightly different. There'll be many people, I think, you know, for safety reasons, won't be seeing members of their family. 
And the Queen, I think, wanted to show that it's no different to her and that she wanted to set the right example. And I think in this particular instance, she's doing the right thing. And that's the leader. Pick up the newspaper for more on these stories or go to standard.co.uk. This podcast is back tomorrow. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.